As you all know, uh, it's Mother's Day. If you still haven't figured that out, you are in deep doo-doo. I'm just saying that now. Um, you know, today we honor our moms. And, you know, our moms, I think at least, deserve it. They deserve a day because, let's be honest, we put our moms through a lot. I don't know about you. Um, some of us have. Um, dirty laundry, my mom did a lot of that. And it's mine. That's gross, actually. I'm um, talking back. Um, maybe you had a little bit of that. Um, all the rides that our mom gave us to school, to the doctor, to um, sports practices, to just about everywhere else, our moms drove us all over the place. And moms have also suffered those moments, I don't know if this happens in your family, where you just can't help but pick on your mom. I don't know if you've had that. Um, like when I was a kid, I was just little, and I knew that my mom was terrified of bugs. She just could not stand them. And so I was outside playing in the yard one day, and I found an enormous earthworm. It was huge. And so I handed it to her, and she screamed loudly. It was a bad day. That actually happened last year. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but our moms deserve a, a day. And so in the spirit of honoring mom uh, this morning, I'd like us to turn to a passage um, in the scriptures. Um, we are going to be taking a look at 2 Timothy uh, 1, verses 5 through 10. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it up. If you have your phone, um, use an app or Google it. You know, do something like that just to pull it up for yourself. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Irene Brisenio. Irene, I'm going to invite you to head on up. And what we do here, church, if you're able to, is we stand and we face the center of the room where the scripture is read. And we do so every single week to remind ourselves of the significance of the story of Jesus. It's the whole scope of scripture. So, Irene, when you are ready. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our God or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, <clears throat> but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Thank you, Irene. Y'all may be seated. So um, our scripture this morning is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. Now, um, Timothy has a great story in the scriptures. Um, Timothy was born into a two-religion family. Um, his mom was a Jew. She was Jewish. And then his dad was a Gentile. He, he was a pagan Gentile. And so Timothy's mom probably drug him off to synagogue every single week. And then maybe even on the same weeks, um, Timothy's dad would do something similar. Take him to, uh, to see one of the Roman God's temples to offer sacrifices or incense or something like that. And so you can imagine, as a young boy, 
Timothy must have been quite confused about just what to believe about the world. Like, what is true about the world? What's the big story in the world? Was the Jewish faith uh, the true faith? Is that the one he's supposed to believe? Or was it the Roman gods? Was it the pantheon? Is that what the truth was? Or maybe it was, maybe it was somewhere in the middle for him. He wasn't really quite sure. And maybe none of it was true. It's a really confusing time for Timothy in his life. Now, one day... Something happens in Timothy's life. See, at some point, the Apostle Paul and his co-worker Barnabas show up in Timothy's town. It's the city of Lystra. And you see, Paul and Barnabas, they begin preaching the good news of Jesus. They've been preaching the story of Jesus, that Jesus was born by the Virgin Mary. And then he lived, and then he did his ministry, and he did many miracles. And then he went and he died on a cross. And it was uh, really, he was innocent the whole way through, but he died on a cross. And then he was resurrected. And it's this amazing story of resurrection. And then he ascended to the Father. And the Apostle Paul would have gathered a group around him. Maybe there was hundreds, maybe there were dozens. We don't really quite know. And he'd preach the good news of Jesus. And he would say something like, it doesn't matter. You can be a Jew. You can be a Gentile. It doesn't matter. It's good news for you today. The story of Jesus is good news. And you are invited to a faith, Paul probably said. And I imagine there's this moment, maybe near the end of Paul's sermon, where Paul invited the crowd to believe in this Jesus too. And you see, Timothy was probably with his mom and his grandma, and they probably attended this moment where, where Paul and Barnabas were speaking. And Timothy was probably watching and listening, maybe captivated by Paul. Maybe it was particularly meaningful to him. We don't really know, but we do know one thing. You see, at one point, Timothy's mom and Timothy's grandma do something probably unexpected for Timothy. And we don't know exactly what it looks like. Maybe both of them stood up, Maybe they raised a hand or they came to the front of the room or whatever they did. But in that moment, Timothy's mom and Timothy's grandma came to faith in Jesus for the very first time, the risen God. In that moment, changed Timothy's, uh, Timothy's par- or his mom and his grandma's lives forever. And then Paul and Barnabas, what they do is they come to a town, they'd preach the gospel, they'd stay a while, and then they would move. They'd head off to another town, so they leave. And then years later, Paul comes back to the town of Lystra. And when he comes back to the town of Lystra, he meets this young man. He probably doesn't even recognize this young man. But this young man is passionate and fiery for Jesus. He believes in the good news. He really does. He believes it. And he speaks about it. And he speaks well about Jesus. He really is a powerful force for the faith. And I imagine Paul says something like, well, what's your name, boy? Like, who are you? And the boy replies, I'm Timothy. I'm Timothy. And Timothy later would leave with Paul and he'd go around the whole area preaching the good news of Jesus to all who could possibly hear it. You know, this story um, gives me a question that I'd like to ask. What happened with Timothy? Like, what happened between the time that Paul left um, from Lystra the first time and then, and then the time when Paul comes back and then takes Timothy with him and then they head off on this missionary adventure together. Like, what happened with Timothy? What encouraged Timothy to faith is the question. You know, in our scripture this morning, we find a couple things that kind of shine some light on that question. If you have your Bible, 
Uh, go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, verse 6, a second. And this is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You see, Timothy grew into a person of faith because someone saw a gift in him and helped him cultivate that gift. Of course, for Timothy, it was the Apostle Paul. Like, he struck the jackpot, right? Like, he got the guy that wanted to invest him. He got the Apostle Paul. Paul intentionally put his energy and his time and um, his mentorship into Timothy to grow him in his faith, to expand his gifts for the kingdom. You know, for many of us we, uh, that, fo- that at least call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have people in our lives that were integral to us becoming followers of Jesus. We have people in our lives that we uh, were pushed in a certain direction with that asked a good question of us, that loved us in a time when like life was difficult, and those people grew us in our faith in a way that we can never repay them for, right? In a sense, we owe uh, some people in our lives for where we are in our faith today. They were integral to where we got to where we are. Just as an aside, if maybe someone came to mind right now, have you ever thanked them for that? Have you ever just picked up the phone and called and said, remember that time you took me for coffee? That changed everything for me. Thank you. Have you ever done that? I bet that that would be a meaningful conversation. If you can still have it, I would encourage it. Go for it. There's another reason that Timothy became such a powerful follower of Jesus, though. Um, In your Bible, um, take a look at verse 5 this morning. This is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, And I am persuaded now also lives in you. What's interesting about this verse is the way that Paul talks about faith. He talks about it differently than we talk about faith today. Faith, the way we talk about it is faith is something we're supposed to latch on to, we're supposed to hold on to, we're supposed to take, right? We're supposed to carry with us. Faith is something that we're supposed to live into, right? It's this thing that calls us to action. But Paul says that faith is a little different than that in this passage. Paul says that the faith is like this living thing that can literally choose to dwell in us. It's actually, um, we're the object of faith who does all these works in us. We don't live within the faith, but faith lives within us. Now, the word lives in this verse is really interesting. In the Greek, um, the original language, the word is enoikeo. And that word is um, actually a verb form of a really commonly used noun. And that noun in the Greek is the word oikos. And oikos means home or house. Home or house. See, Paul says, we are like a house that the faith chooses to dwell in and live in and make its home in us like we would a house. And you see, Paul says to Timothy that the faith that is making a home in him is a gift that should be fanned into flame. And the reason we fan that faith into flame is because Paul says in verse 9, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. God has a purpose 
for our faith that dwells in us. See, this morning, if you have a faith, maybe you don't, but if you do, if you have a faith living in you, it's because God gave that to you. He graced that to you. And then God wants you to do something with that faith. Faith is not something that we have or possess, but it's something that lives in us and it moves through us out into the world and it makes a difference into the world and the relationships and people around us. If you have a faith in Jesus, God has a holy purpose for you. God wants you to do something. And you see that faith first dwelled in Timothy's grandma, Grandma Lois. And Grandma Lois did something with that faith. And you see, that faith then dwelled in Timothy's mom, Eunice. And Eunice did something with that faith. And you see, because Timothy's grandma and mom did something with that faith, they built Timothy into a home where the faith could live as well. And the faith took root in Timothy. And Timothy did something with his faith. If you have faith dwelling in you this morning, God is calling you to do something with it. And fundamental to it all is that God is putting a faith in you so that you will help to build other people in your lives into a house where faith can dwell, and particularly into our kids' lives, right? In our nieces' and nephews' lives, into the next generation's lives. Maybe it's actually our friends or our coworkers. There's people that are far from God. It is our job to use our faith to go out into the world and to make people that can be open and receptive to the good news of Jesus and fall in love with Jesus. It's our job to pass it on. Have you ever been to a track meet before? Um, I... Uh, my son, Luca, he ran uh, track this year for the first time. It was really fun to see him grow into the sport and all that. Um, and I was able to make it to a couple of the track meets. Um, first, if you've never been to a track meet, they are, and this is just the middle school version, four hours long. You heard that correctly. Four hours. And your child participates in like three or four events. You're like, wow, that's a lot. That's cool. Those events last 15 seconds each. It's amazing. Which means you do a lot of waiting. To me, track feels like that moment when you're standing in line for a ride at Disneyland, except take away Disneyland. Like that's what going to a track meet feels like. It is riveting. You would love it. You should try it sometime. However, while I was at the last meet, um, I began watching kind of other kids practice um, whatever sport they were doing or run they were doing. And one of the ones that captivated me was the four-person relay. Now, if you don't know what the four-person relay is, um, the, the team, there's a team of four people and then one lines up and then they start running with this baton in their hand, right? And they start running and then they'll get close to the next person and the next person on the team will start running and they'll be about the same speed and then there's this moment where the person, the first person takes the baton and tries to set it in the other person's hand as they're running, kind of like this, takes the baton and then the second person runs and does that to the third person and the fourth person and then the race is finished hopefully. And there's this moment that I notice it's the moment of passing the baton. 
It is a moment of anxiety for teams. In fact, as you're sitting there and you're watching them practice before they do their run, the teams will literally be walking in a row, passing the baton back and forth to each other just to make sure that they got the muscle, the muscle memory correct so that they can pass the baton correctly. Because if they drop the baton, the race is over. Like they lose. They don't get to win the race. So the passing of the baton is integral to winning the race. You see, Grandma Lois in our scripture was the first up in her relay. And instead of a baton, Grandma Lois had faith. And Grandma Lois put a ton of energy into fanning into flame the faith that lived in her, that dwelled in her, that made a home in her. And with that faith, Grandma Lois did her best to pass that faith on to her daughter. And I'm sure there was this moment, right, where, where grandma's running the race, running the face, trying to be faithful to Jesus all the way along, trying to build her daughter into a home where faith can dwell, right? And there's this moment where she's running and her daughter starts running and there's the handoff moment, right? Here's the faith. You can actually grab it now and then you can have your own faith. Now what's going to happen? It's a moment of anxiety. And the handoff happens. And you need takes her faith and Eunice runs and she runs hard. She runs the race as hard as she could. She tried to fan her faith into a flame and she did her best even with a husband that didn't believe, didn't have a believer husband and Eunice ran and she ran hard and she got to the moment where Timothy started running too and Timothy's almost up to speed and then Eunice has to pass the faith on to her boy, right? And so she's running hard and trying to pass the faith on to her boy and it's a moment of anxiety. Will Timothy be faithful? Will it stick Will, will the faith make a home inside of him? And it, it does. It does. And Timothy grows in the faith and runs his own race. And Timothy becomes a great preacher and pastor and missionary and leader and does good things. And so many people get to hear the good news of Jesus because of what mom did, because of what grandma did. They supported him into the faith and it stuck. It came to live in him. Look, today, for the millionth time, it's Mother's Day, right? You see, every single mom in this room is currently in the middle of their relay of life or relay of faith, right? They're running the race. They're running hard. Moms, you are running a race right now. You are. Moms, you are trying to fan your faith into a vibrant flame and you're trying to pass it on to your kids, right? Like it's really important to you. And you're doing it all while juggling a million other things in your lives. Changing diapers, wiping runny noses, that's a fun one. Um, helping your kids with their confusing math homework, right? Because it always changes every two years, right? Perhaps trying to work a full-time job and doing laundry and getting the oil changed and making it to the gym so you can stay in shape and trying to make dinner every single night. And, 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 and the list goes on. No one said the race is easy because it's not. That's why it's a race. It's hard. There are hurdles and difficulties and unexpected turns all around you. But moms, remember something. It's all about the handoff. It's all about the handoff. That one day you might get the joy of seeing your child 
have a faith that lives and that makes a home in them and they fall in love with Jesus and they will do anything for Jesus. Isn't that the goal? Isn't it? Moms, thank you for running the race. Keep going. Keep going. The people around you need you to run. They do. You know, for the rest of us this morning, Somebody ran a race before you. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was somebody else. Maybe it was a mentor. Maybe it was a friend. Whoever it was for you. The question is, are you fanning the flame of your faith now too? Are you really taking it seriously? Are you beginning to run the race too? Or have you dropped the baton? Here's the thing about the four-person relay. Is, is it's a chain, right? And if the first person is running fails to pass off the baton, the race is over for the rest of them too. That's exactly true for our faith too. If we drop the ball, it's going to affect our kids and our grandkids and our coworkers and the people around us in our lives. They are depending on us to run the race. The way your life looks right now, would it make mom proud? Would it? I encourage you, if you drop the baton, pick it up and start running. Let the faith live in you, make a home in you. Pass it on to the next generation because they need it. They need us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our moms. And God, we recognize that today for many of us um, may be a bittersweet day. For some of us, we had a great relationship with our moms. They truly did pass on the faith, God. And mom's gone now. And so for some of us, God, we just ask for your grace and your attention as our hearts are a little tender today. God, for others of us this morning, um, we have conflict with our, with our mom and it's a struggle, God. We ask that you send your spirit to create some reconciliation, God. But in that relationship, make things right again. And God, we think of those um, that want to be a mom so dearly and it's not happening, God. We, we raise them up to you today as well because it makes for a difficult day. And God, we realize that this life truly is a race. And it only takes one of us to drop the ball and it affects so many people, God. Inspire us, give us the strength. Help us grow and run hard and pursue you and love you with everything we've got, God, because the people around us are counting on it. We thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church?